0: Phil Mackey, Judd Zogad.
1: You two are just dumb as a bag of hammers.
0: Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Football Power Index. FPI, FPI. It's never
1: too early
2: for the FPI, is it?
0: Football Power Index. Blow your mind. ESPN.com. They've got 1 through 32 rankings and odds for the Super Bowl out right now. And we're gonna dive into these, and I got a couple thoughts on something. I did some research on something else too. That uh, it's pretty amazing. We'll quiz you on it, but let's see here. Well, I'll just go through the rankings. Let's start with let's start with well, the Jets are thirty two, the Browns are thirty one, the Dolphins are thirty, and then it goes Cardinals, Colts, actually twenty eight. The
2: AFC stinks. Yes, is what you can come to a very strong conclusion about.
0: Bills, Giants, Bengals, Bears, Broncos, Bucks. That's a lot of Bs. Uh, Redskins, Titans, Texans 19, Raiders 18, Lions 17. Now we get to fringe playoffs here. They have Seahawks at 16. They've got Ravens at 15, Jaguars at 14. I agree with that. I don't think they're a playoff team. Well, they might be an AFC playoff team based on this ranking, but I think they're probably out. Uh, Chiefs 13, Cowboys 12, Chargers 11, Niners 10. Panthers 9, Falcons 8, Packers mm-hmm. 7, yes, Saints 6, and then the Vikings at 5 in the mm-hmm. FPI. Mm-hmm. Just behind the Rams, Steelers, Eagles, and Patriots are number one on this list. Your thoughts? I think it's very fair. I think it's very... Uh, at first, I thought the
2: Vikings might have been a spotter too, uh, too low but given given the amount of change that happens in this league from year to year i think 5 is very fair and and if i'm not mistaken they also it's weird though don't they have didn't they come to the the conclusion that the packers are going to win the division it, it, it's an odd it's an odd thing but i think they came to the conclusion that the packers have a very good chance to to win the division and they put the vikings 5 but i think yeah, five, packers
0: have an easier schedule but i think
2: but i think 5
0: is is very solid. Yeah, they actually, I have no problem with it. They have the Packers forty-one percent winning the division. Vikings forty percent. That's what it was. Yeah. Playoff chances: Vikings sixty percent. Uh, reach the Super Bowl: Vikings twelve percent. Win the Super Bowl: Vikings six percent. Tied with Green Bay and a couple other teams, and just behind Eagles, Steelers, and they have the Patriots winning the Super Bowl eighteen percent of the time mm-hmm. in this. And then, and then, the, this is a fair question that they pose in the article, is the NFC the new Western Conference? I think that's absolutely is, true. Right? Yes, I mean, the you, AFC is not good. You can make a playoff case. There's six playoff spots in each conference. You can make a legit playoff case for like 10 teams in the NFC. <laughs> Maybe even more than that.
2: Well, you, you think about it from, from the North, you've got the Vikings for sure, the Packers for sure. um, The Bears, I, I think, are going to be improved, but probably not. Uh, in the East, you've got... Eagles for sure right now, right? You've got the Cowboys who I think will bounce back and be improved again now after being after I think they won 13 games 2 years ago. Uh there's a fighting chance that that uh the Giants are going to creep up a bit. And then from the West, you've got the Rams most definitely. Seattle is always because of the quarterback, they always have a chance. So yeah, the the AFC is is weak overall, mm-hmm. and, and I think you're right. I think there's about 10 in, in NFC teams that you could make a really strong case for that would have a chance
0: to be good in the playoffs. So he, here's a here's a trivia question for you, and it has to do with parity in the NFL. This is uh, it's pretty amazing, actually. How many teams in the last three years, would you guess, haven't finished 9-7 and seven or better, at least once? So in the last three years, 2015, 16, and 17, of the 32 teams in the NFL... How many would you guess have not finished above 500 at least once over that stretch?
2: Um, hmm. I'm going to guess it's a fairly
0: small figure, actually. Uh, I'll guess six teams. It's four. Okay. And one of them, the Colts, finished eight and eight twice. So they, because I I, I took it as above 500. If you just draw the line at 500 and the Colts are off the board, but Browns, Bears, Niners, and Colts. And uh, I I think this says two or three different things. Number one, it says almost anyone, regardless of where your franchise is at, unless you're the Browns. (laughs) And by the way, the Niners are going to finish above 500 this year. I forgot them. So, uh, but Browns and the Browns are the team that just can't get out of it. And the Bears have been competitive, but. What this tells me is almost anyone could put together a couple of good drafts and uh, maybe find a coach feast on the last place schedule and finish nine and seven or 10 and six. The dolphins have done it. Uh, there's the Jaguars for God's sake, did it right. It also says that we should draw a line between like, there's a clear delineation between if you finish nine and seven or 10 and six versus, are you an actual contender that can do something and win multiple playoff games? Cause if you just take the last three years, Almost every team in the NFL has been in "quote unquote" contender mode at some point. If you're finishing above 500, you're at playoff team or or fringe playoff team, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you could make a case that almost every single team in the league at some point in the last three years has thought, "Boy, we got this thing on the right track." Yep. Boy, this is great. And then they slide backwards. And it's a lot of times it's because you know what? If you're just if you're able to draft at the top of each round and you're able to feast on a weak schedule because you play ten crappy teams because you finished three and thirteen the previous year and you you don't get hurt. Or that. There's so many variables here. Yeah. There's a lot of fool's gold in the yes. NFL, I guess, is what I'm saying.
2: Yes. And the, the only, the only I don't want to say sure way, but the only almost sure way around that is quarterback. If you have a quarterback and, and a halfway decent defense, you're in, in good shape consistently. But how many teams have a quarterback? The Packers do. The Patriots do. Seattle, I think, does. But if you go down that, that list, it's probably five teams. It's probably five teams that, that you say every year. Where
0: you start at no like matter how, eight and eight, no matter what. No
2: matter how tough your schedule might be, if your defense can just hold up, your quarterback's going to give you a chance to win consistently.
0: Yeah. there's a, like The teams you just mentioned pretty much start at eight and eight, or maybe it's seven and nine, because Drew Brees is on that list. Yeah. And they had so many things go wrong. They did have two or three seasons where they finished seven and nine the past four or five years. Last year, they were great. Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, here's a totally off-the-wall observation. I saw some press conferences. The Vikings were doing some charity stuff yesterday between OTA practices. Is there man. an athlete in the world that has whiter teeth than Kirk Cousins? I've, Have you guys taken a look at that guy's teeth? Yeah. i know that he's a like, huge he makes, fan of oral health, you can tell. Like, he makes well, a sick. lot of money and can probably make his teeth as white as he needs to. But, like, if there's a new shade of brightness or yeah. there's a new level of brightness, if it goes, if it goes uh, whatever the sun is, Kirk Cousins' teeth, How I think, much, might be whiter than the sun.
2: How much do we think he has spent uh, time in recent years practicing that smile? That's, <laughs> that smile to me seems to be incredibly rehearsed. It seems like you see him. Go, go back to the day that the Vikings introduced him at the press conference and look at that smile. That's a smile of
0: a man who has stood in front of a mirror and worked on a smile. It's also the smile of a man who's collected about $150 million in cash before his 30th birthday. Sure,
2: but I'm saying the perfection of the teeth together... It, it it looks like he he has practiced that on several occasions. To I think
3: me. this sounds like envy and jealousy, like somebody who should be standing in front of a mirror working on his smile. But Judge. I'm not going yeah, to. Is, I, I, I have no time for that. Dave
0: brings up a great point. I have is, no time for that. Is there a more polar opposite set of smiles than Kirk Cousins? I don't like and to smile. I don't like to smile in pictures. So that's my voice. So probably the answer is no. I
2: just I it occurred to me after seeing that press conference smile that that's a smile that's been worked on that's well, not a
3: maybe but it sounds like you're jealous oh no no, no no it no, absolutely no, does no, it sounds no like jealousy. he's got a skill that you don't have and oh, you're trying to tear him down because of it he's
2: got a skill that i don't have he's got a lot of I'm skills saying a
3: specific thing
2: either i am throwing it out there i'm just curious because it looks like it's practiced i you know what good for
3: him you're calling the vikings starting quarterback a fraud you can find, no, fine, go no, ahead and not, do that no. That sounds not like Julian.
0: I mean, I'm not going to say that, you know, he he's got the, I the brightest smile that I've ever seen in my life, but I did watch Raiders of the Lost Ark on Saturday for a little while and caught that end scene where they open up the ark yep. and, and like everyone gets blinded. Yep. Had a very similar feeling when he smiled for the cameras at the charity event yesterday. Here's Kirk Cousins everybody. Yep. Light beaming okay. through
2: people's foreheads. It lo- it looks like he might might have had my problem at one time, and they said, Kirk, if you're going to be the face of the franchise, if you're going to be the guy out there in front, you got to work on the smile. Now, if they told me to do that, I'd be like, Buzz off, not going to do it.
0: But it just looks like it's been worked on. Have you thought? Because he has about five personal specialized coaches in his life. Uh huh. It's possible he has a, a smile coach. Have you ever thought about consulting? A specialized professional. No. No interest. Don't want to smile. Because one of the main questions we get when we post photos from the studio or whatever, it's like, why does Judd never smile smile in these photos? Why is he always just staring at the camera like he wants to beat somebody up? What's the best smile you can give us, Judd? Phil, oh. maybe you should pull out your phone and get a picture I don't think as best I can we do can, it, can of Judd I don't just think I can do it on best. command, though. The thing is, you know, he's, no, this is the thing. Difficult. It's not that he doesn't. You smile all the time. You smile during the show. It's yeah. when someone says, okay, Judd, yeah. smile. Smile. Cheese. not going to do it. I just can't. I'm not good at it. But we, we almost need you to think about think about your favorite <laughs> hockey moment or your favorite craft beer.
3: Think about Gil's Malish.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Jill's Melosh. It's not Gil's melange. It's Whatever. Jill's melange. Jilly Think about that time where your mouth made love to a Yingling. Oh, that is a nice thought. That don't do that.
2: <laughs> that was creepy. Even I was creeped out by that. That time where you and your oh, tongue around stop. the rim of a Yingling. Stop.
0: Yes. Stop right now. Yeah. You're creeping like me out. Smile.
2: I just think it's a practice smile. That's all I'm saying.
0: I'm not passing judgment. Whatever it is, it's impressive. I mean, it's a and it is twenty. It's uh, yeah. It's the brightest thing I've seen all week. $93 million dollar smile. Um, let's come back. Roy Smalley is going to join us in about 20 minutes here. Judd, you have a word for prime mortgage lending.
2: I do indeed. And if you're considering a mortgage company, I I want to suggest my friends at prime and Kent McCullough in particular. And I want to do it because to uh, the people at prime and Kent, this isn't about simply selling you on something. This is about earning your trust first. In fact, prime would rather earn your trust than sell you a loan. That means while Prime would love to have you as a client, most definitely what they want to do is they want to sit down. They want to meet with you first. They want to explain their plan. And after that, the decision is up to you. That's because this is about two very important things to Canton Prime. Those two things, teamwork and collaboration. It's what Prime is all about. It's what they believe in. And if you're shopping for a mortgage, you can count on Prime to give you sound advice and straight answers. For instance, Prime wants to take some of that mystery out of the mortgage process for you. Did you know Prime may be able to put together a program that can pay your closing costs? Not just include them in your loan, but actually pay them for you. That is correct. All you have to do is go to their website and check it out. That website is goprimewithkent.com. Goprimewithkent.com. Once again, goprimewithkent. K E.
0: Mackie and Judd are back. Gentlemen, the moment has finally arrived on 1500 ESPN.
3: Reckless speculation. With no regard for human life. Reckless speculation.
0: I have a little tale for you here, Judd. Before we get to Roy Smalley in like ten minutes or so. All right. And and for this segment too, if people have, uh, it's we're calling this a little throwback Thursday, I guess, because we've been reminiscing about autographs that we sought when we were kids. The first autograph we ever collected: six five one six four six eight two five five. We've been telling stories. Chip was in here like two hours ago, but six five one six four six eight two five five. If you want to chime in on that. But I have a little tale for you. When reckless speculation goes too far.
3: Reckless speculation.
0: There's no such thing. But there can be such thing. Okay? Oh, say and it, I, listen, say I'm it not, ain't so. I'm not advocating for uh for I'm not advocating for us to pump the brakes on reckless speculation. I'm just saying like there are instances where reckless speculation can either ruin a guy's career or ruin the perception of All a guy right. to the point where people get mad, okay. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been sort of killing me. I've been trying to think of player comps for Andrew Wiggins over the last year or so that aren't hopeful comps. Cuz there's all these hopeful comps like, well, <laughs> but but DeMar DeRozan was was mediocre for 5 years and and yes, like maybe DeMar DeRozan is is a comp for Andrew Wiggins, but that would require Wiggins figuring out how to score at a more efficient rate and grab rebounds and pass to teammates and things like that. All right? Like what's an actual comparison to Wiggins? And I don't think this necessarily fits exactly position or physique wise. And to be honest, I haven't even uh, done the numbers comparison on these two guys, but in terms of the way that they were hyped, how early they were hyped and where their careers one where one wound up and where one looks like it might wind up. Andrew Wiggins is OJ Mayo. And if you go back and look at Articles that were written early in their careers. I, I found some stuff from like Slam Magazine when Wiggins was a sophomore, junior in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read you a couple excerpts here, okay? All right. This is from Slam Magazine 2007 about O.J. Mayo, who the who the Wolves drafted and then traded. Yeah, so trade. We're all excited for like 10 minutes when they drafted O.J. Mayo. And they said, we're not trading him. And then they turned around that night and traded yep. him. Fred Hoiberg got up to the podium and promised the fans that they would not trade O.J. Mayo. Very happy about that. And the reason why we were excited is because of articles like this from Slam Magazine. The, The author writes, I spent a lot of time a few years ago stalking LeBron James with his knowledge. And one of my most vivid memories from that surreal time during LeBron's high school career came in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This was December of 2002, and LeBron's high school squad was playing a game on ESPN. Allen Iverson was among those crowded into the gym for the game. I stayed at the Doubletree in downtown Philadelphia that night, and I remember, either right before I left for the game or maybe after I got back to my room, the TV was on headline news, and they actually had a 45-second story on O.J. Mayo already being dubbed as the next LeBron. He was in eighth grade at the time. Best case scenario, O.J. Mayo is a cross between Kobe Bryant and Jason Kidd. Yeah, I said it. End of article. Okay. I skipped like the middle of the article there, but yep. that was the write up on O.J. Mayo. I think at last check OJ was playing overseas somewhere. Uh he bounced between Memphis and Milwaukee. Yeah, it and... didn't go well. Yeah, I don't know. I it's been a couple of years at least since he's played in the NBA here, as I'm pulling this up. He went played overseas and he's he's not that old. He's only thirty years old. Um played for Dallas for a year, but by the end of it In his prime at age 28, O.J. Mayo was playing almost 30 minutes a game still, averaging 7 points and shooting 37% from the field. And no defense. Just from literally, he's the next LeBron, hype, hype, hype machine, because skills and physical tools and all these things. Sure. To out of the league by the age of 28. Sure. Slam Magazine 2012. Here's the headline. 17-year-old Andrew Wiggins may be the most promising basketball player in America right now. Business Insider 2013. Why people are calling Andrew Wiggins the next LeBron James. He's a genetic freak. He's long like Kevin Durant. He can dunk like a young Tracy McGrady. He's got skills. He plays defense. There are typically two types of NBA prospects. Guys with raw athletic ability but limited skill. And guys with lots of skill but limited talent. Like Durant and LeBron before him, Wiggins has shown that he has both. And the basketball world is. Is enamored. OJ Mayo and Andrew Wiggins, two very similar stories. Well, Wiggins has a chance to write a different story in his twenties here, to alter the way he competes, to alter the way he plays on the court. And obviously, he racked up more money already with that guaranteed contract than OJ Mayo did. But I just found the two the two storylines to be really similar. When reckless speculation goes too far, Judge.
3: reckless speculation.
2: But I do think this. I do. The only good thing to come from the last uh, couple of years now, and this all all appears as if it's not going to go as planned, and so we can learn a lesson from it. This town should never again, ever again, get too excited. I'm not saying that you can't be optimistic. That's fine. Should never get too excited about prospects. Think about what we have been through within the last, what now, three plus years? Is, Is that correct? Wiggins, Towns, who's very good. Sano and Buxton, who both might be busts. Bridgewater, not his fault, but he's gone from being the quarterback of the future for, for this franchise, and the head coach loves him. And and I'll never forget the Chargers preseason game before Teddy got hurt, and he looked really good that, that day. And granted, it was a preseason game. But nonetheless, he looked really good, and everyone said this is going to be his breakout year, and now it's going to be perfect, and he's been to the playoffs, and this is going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And his leg splintered the last few years have led us down the path of always at least be cautious
0: because that's kind of, in fairness you are the boy who cried wolf in that area so i agree with you in this case but, right, but you can literally saying, layer like that jud philosophy sure, over everything sure. but
2: what i'm say, but what i'm saying now is in this case it makes perfect sense why it makes perfect sense that we looked at um two superstars on the wolves well, one of whom i think is going to be a a Superstar player, two superstars on the Twins, both of whom are busting, and and a quarterback, not his fault, who got hurt, and you looked at all those players at one point within the last couple of years and said stardom, and now Wiggins, the answer I think is no. He still might be good, but mm-hmm. it's no. Sano and Buxton, I'm thinking more and more they might be they might be lucky to be good. They're certainly not at this rate going to be great, and Teddy is gone. Mm-hmm. So, I do believe that in that group of five people, you have a very
0: interesting and probably um, instructive cautionary tale. Uh, yes, uh, sometimes the only thing we have to cling to here in this town is hope and prospects and future. Unforn- because like they haven't wanted uh, the links are the only uh, the only team that regularly gives us that uh, that success. Ride. And I'm
2: not saying that people shouldn't be hopeful or shouldn't be optimistic. What I am saying is is that and and sports fans have been slapped in the face with this for years and years now. But when you get so excited about a kid, a draft pick coming up and you say to yourself, This is going to be it. This is mm-hmm. going to be the transformational player that's going to take the franchise that I love and follow and this player is going to be incredible. And in this case, you've got four out of five examples of it's probably not going to happen. Yeah.
0: Here some, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, back into the answer here because uh, someone just tweeted another name, a comparison for Andrew Wiggins. But let me just give you uh, th- this particular player. We'll call him player A, age 22 season, wing player. So similar size, like six, whatever, six, eight, somewhere in that neighborhood. Tw- per 36 minutes, 21 points, six rebounds, two and a half assists. Get you a steal, get you a block, thirty-seven percent from downtown, which would be around around or just above league average, and forty-five uh, percent field goals and some defense once in a while. Mm-hmm. Michael Beasley, Minnesota Timberwolves, 2010-11. free agent right now. I think you can sign him. up. I mean, it's it's yeah. so similar, and uh, you know, Beasley has much more of sort of an aloof. They're both aloof in different ways. I think Beasley was Beasley had a lot more personal demons behind the scenes, and and uh, as David Kahn would say, he likes to smoke a lot of weed. I don't know what Andrews <laughs> off the court the, habits are in that regard, but smoking the weed probably didn't help these guys. But that's another guy. You get on the hype train when a guy is just because a guy is freakishly talented and skilled when he's in eighth grade or tenth grade. You get these publications. Everyone's looking for the next Michael, the next LeBron and in the case of OJ Mayo and and Andrew Wiggins it's like they got that label almost without their permission and i mean they, they weren't going to turn down the publicity which led to them both being these top picks who made a bunch of money early in their lives right but it's like these guys get tabbed when they're 15 years old 17 years old now in the post Michael Jordan era and it's just it's just Guys evolve, and think well, about how immature you are when you're 15 I or 16 years old. I think the common thread, old, though— So we I, don't change the narrative.
2: I think the common thread among a lot of the, the guys who are are fantastic at that age and, and then don't achieve stardom is this. At that age, if if they are that dominant, that means that their talent is that great. And guess what? They mature. Players around them mature. Everyone's Players talented, around yeah. them start to work really, really hard. If you don't, you fall back. Mm -hmm. butler is the the prime example of a guy who was a good college player a nice player and guess what he's turned himself into a star now if wiggins had the ability to sit down and process this and say damn it i'm going to make the the most of my potential it might be totally different but you have as we've seen you have a lot of guys who it always comes easy for and the day it doesn't they don't know how to go back then and process Mm -hmm. that
0: uh, Bill tweets in, will you just admit that you want to see Wiggins bust because you perceive him to lack effort and Rudy is your favorite movie? Okay, <laughs> but like Bill and anyone else, if if a guy, I mean, I'm not going to get into this argument again, but I don't want to see him bust. I want to see him be a superstar, but I think he's a, I think he's going to be closer to bust than perennial all-star. And if you watch him and think, oh, he's exerting max effort all the time and it's like some other it's his teammates that are holding him back, then, dude, you ain't watching close enough. Or you're just, I don't know. I mean, if you—if—if if he was exerting as much effort as you think, Bill, this team wouldn't be scraping to get to the eighth seed in the regular season. Right. That's just a fact. And he is not, I, I think that, that we can all agree that he is not worth a franchise
2: right now where he's going to have a chance to turn things around. I think if he goes to the right team and the right coach, he might have a fighting chance.
0: But I don't think it's here. Otherwise, in five years when that contract's up, he can resurrect it overseas. He can go play in China like all these other guys do and score 30 points a game and get shoe deals. Let's talk to Roy Smalley when we come back. I don't know how much more Buxton talk we can do with him. We've already exhausted all of those breakdowns with him, but there's uh, plenty else to get to. Luther Brookdale Toyota is the car dealership and service department my family and I have been committed to for 30 plus years. And I understand when you drive around the twin cities, there's all kinds of dealerships and service departments. There's all kinds of places to get your oil changed or to, to scope out new vehicles. The reason why we've been committed for three decades to the same place, it's a combination of peace of mind. You just, you get some of the best people in the industry and now you get one of the best facilities in the twin cities. So it's that peace of mind of knowing exactly who you're working with and building those relationships. And also let's be honest, Toyota's are some of the most durable vehicles in the world. Uh, great gas mileage. Twenty. Uh, what's the number? Eighty percent of of Toyotas that were on the road twenty years ago are still on the road today, and that's just that's just a testament to uh, to how great these vehicles are. So you get the durability of the Toyota brand, and you get the peace of mind of some of the best people in the industry and the best facility for my money in the Twin Cities, and uh, that's what you get, Luther Brookdale. Bill Mackey.
3: When will I know when I'm the man? Your mom and I will tell you.
0: Judd Zolgad.
3: Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son.
0: Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
3: Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now. Now.
0: With former Twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalling. All right, Mackie and Judd. Uh, in fact, the press release just came in here. They So Aaron Slakers did a good job holding things together while the twins made a comeback last night. And because he threw so many pitches, there's no reason to, to keep him around for a couple days if he can't be useful. So they send him down to Rochester, and uh, Tyler Duffy is back up with the big league squad. Roy Smalley, uh, I think we've already exhausted all of the Byron Buxton conversation. So I guess my only remaining question about Buxton, you did a great job just sort of breaking down some of some of the, uh, the hurdles that he's trying to jump over. How much can a bad foot or a bad toe like, is, do you think it's partially that the toe was hindering him from hitting? Do you think it's, cause he's apparently he was playing through a lot more pain than people know.
4: What well, you know, it's not everything, but it's enough to, to, to throw you off. That's your, your feet are so important. Your feet and legs are so important to you in, in hitting. And no matter how much you try to gut through pain, if if every time you land and turn on that foot as you swing is causing you uh, an awful lot of pain, even in the back of your mind, even subconsciously, I think things are different. And, I mean, it's just one more, one more thing that um, a guy that you know, hasn't had enough at bats yet before he got back to the big leagues anyway after being out for so long, I mean, it's just one more thing that's going to contribute to it being very
1: difficult for him.
2: It's almost June, Roy. So it's not; uh, it's still early in the season. But how important is this series against Cleveland now, with four games given where things stand for the Twins?
4: Well, I think it's a very important series, obviously, and and I think it's punctuated. My opinion is punctuated by what Brian Dozier and some of the other guys uh, talked about. It said it was uh, extremely, uh, extremely important. So if they think so, then I got to believe that it is. It's you just can't let Cleveland. Get uh, get so far away from you that uh, that no matter how well you play in the second half of the season, there's there's no catching up.
0: Yeah, uh, we were just going over this. Here's a fun little trivia factoid, but it's also a little bit depressing. Uh, the last time, and now th- this, uh, Fernando Romero's ERA is up over four. But it kind of feels like they're wasting a really good starting pitching staff by being seven games under five hundred. Uh, but the last time they had four starting pitchers who made at least ten starts in a season with ERAs under four it was nineteen eighty nine. Rick Aguilera was one of them, and Frank Viola was one too. So they, they didn't not all four of those guys pitched together, but. Uh, it would be it's almost 30 years if, if Odorizzi, Barrios, and Gibson can keep their ERAs under four, and then if, if Fernando Romero can shave his back under four, which I think he probably will. But doesn't it feel a little bit like, man, we've been waiting for this complete rotation for a long time, and here now injuries and uh, and poor performances at the plate have them buried?
4: Uh, yeah, I don't know how much to add to that, Phil. <laughs> so, I really don't. I mean, it's, it, it, they have wasted um, some... Terrific pitching performances. And the only, the good news, the silver lining there is that it doesn't look fluky to me. It looks to me like the guys have pitched the way they can pitch. And if that's so, and if they pitch, you know, consistently like this for the most part, and there's going to be, every one of them is going to have games like Romero had. uh, But if they are relatively consistent the way they've been, to this point, the rest of the season, then it speaks very highly to your ability to have go through some streaks where you go t- you win ten out of twelve. You can't do that just slugging the ball. You can't do it without starting pitching. I mean, that's the most important thing. And it looks to me like it's not fluky, like it's like it's solid. And if they can get the bats going, they can expect some streaks where they where they run off some uh, some big winning percentages.
2: Is Lance Lynn righted now? Do you think, Roy?
4: Y- yeah, I mean, I. I think so. Um, He looked awfully. He's looked very good this last two or out of the last three starts, and and um, you know the fastball that he has, the moving fastball that he has, should play in this league. Uh, He's got enough of a breaking ball to go along with it. It's it's really just a question of of going strike one, strike two with him, and and that's got to be a a mechanics and and familiarity with your delivery uh, you know as a result of no spring training kind of thing as we have talked about right I think I think so
2: are are you surprised that Kyle uh, is now striking out so many guys consistently is this something that you see as a permanent thing and if so how much credit does he get to for for fixing something that clearly had waned or had gotten away from him in in recent years
4: I think he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for understanding um, how he needed to pitch in the big leagues to, uh, to be successful and then going ahead and, and doing that. And we've talked about this before, but his uh, metamorphosis from a, I'm a sinker ball uh, pitcher that doesn't have good enough control of the sinker to throw it where it needs to be all the time, to uh, I have two fastballs. I can throw it 94-95. Straight and you know cross seam, and I can also sink the ball. And oh, by the way, my breaking ball was a little was a little too curveball oriented. I'm uh, I'm going to throw it more like a slider. And I've also figured out how to where the release point is to throw it on that outside corner. And then, oh, by the way, I'm mixing in a changeup very well. I mean, the, the change for him in terms of what kind of pitcher he is and the ability to throw strikes with now his four pitches. Has has been remarkable, I, I, and he deserves a ton of credit.
0: Yeah, and he has he has a year and a half left on his contract, and so he's got one more year of arbitration next year, and he is thirty years old. He'll be he'll be thirty one in October after the season's over. So, if you're making that decision, you know how how do you sort of weigh? All right, maybe you're out of the race, and he could be a trade chip. But also, this was a first round pick, and the light bulb's going on here. The last. Twelve months or so. How do you weigh his value and and building for the future versus this is a guy you might want to give an extension to?
4: Well, it's one of those decisions. Why I'm glad I'm not the uh, <laughs> the, the general manager and the, and the president of the club, right? Exactly. But, um, yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's one of those like, what if Urban Santana was back and healthy, and you had six guys that you want you were, you were comfortable running out there, and you only have room for five? So, yeah, I think the way Kyle pitches the rest of this season and the first half of next. Will determine his future with the club for sure, and um, it's going to be a it's going to be a tough decision given his uh, given his age, and also who they've got coming. It's going to depend on how Romero pitches the rest of this season and next, uh, where Gonzalez is. You know, there's a lot that will that will go into that, obviously.
2: So uh, Roy, Roycey called earlier in the show today and uh, told us the story of the game at Met Stadium where Disco Dan Ford allowed Jose Morales to pass an <laughs> at home plate and and shared just how frustrated Gene was about that. What is your oh, recollection of that day?
4: I I almost can't do it uh, without without visual action.
1: <laughs> I I, mean, I it was
4: it was one of, I, I mean I was. Chewing on my hat, trying not to laugh because Gene was so so angry, um, and, and I, I've never seen I've never seen Gene like that ever because he wouldn't. Did 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 Pat tell you what what his, Gene's response was?
2: He just said he said that G, Gene went to the plate umpire to confirm, and as he, he was walking past Disco Dan, said leave.
4: No. <laughs> No, it, no, it was it was better than that. All right, he came. He he went out to argue with the umpire. The umpire said, "Helen, the wait a minute. Here's what happened.' Gene made an about face because it, it and because he you know he knew the umpire was right. Turned back around, came back in the dugout, and he's by the he's on the home plate side of the dugout. We were on first base side, and he was in the on the home plate side. Danny had gone to the first base side of the dugout. He was all the way down to the other end. Gene came back in the dugout, was standing close to the steps, folded his arms, was staring out of the field and said, Ford. And Danny looked down and said, uh, yeah, Skip. And he says, go home. <laughs> and Danny says, wait, wait, what? He said, go home. And Danny couldn't believe it. It was like, whatever it was, sixth inning. And Danny says, uh, wait, wait, Gene, what? No. He said, I can't stand no, he hasn't. He's just moved there with his arms folded, staring out of the field, talking almost out of the side of his mouth. He said, I can't stand looking at you. Go in, get your stuff, and go home. <laughs> That's the most amazing thing I've ever seen, maybe. I, and oh. if you could only have seen the way Danny backed into home plate, which allowed and missed the plate, which allowed Jose to uh, pass him for the out. And take away the running, and it was with you know that was the third out. I mean, if you could only seen that, you'd understand why he got his nickname Disco Dan.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, we we the, the reason this whole conversation even started, I think, is because in the in the first out, Pat just called in randomly. We we were sort of reminiscing about players as as kids that we would chase down for autographs and uh, and some of our, our just our favorite players when we were when we were growing up watching sports and watching baseball. And uh, and you obviously spent a lot of time around baseball when you were a kid. Do you remember the first autograph you ever got, or or do you have any stories about players that you idolized when you were uh, little? Roy Smalley, age eight, age nine.
4: <laughs> you know, um, I really I, I had i had been around the clubhouses with uh, my dad as a, as a really young kid, and then when uh, Gene Mock was managing the Phillies and later the Expos. They'd come down to L.A. to play the Dodgers, and we'd go out to every game, and I was hanging around the clubhouse with him. And, and uh, of course, my dad had been in the Dodger system as a as a player, coach, and a manager, so he knew a lot of the Dodger guys. So I had been around those clubhouses a lot, and, and, you know, I idolized all these players, but I never, ever got into, you know, getting autographs. It, would, it was almost like a... Unnecessary, right? I mean, I met I met the guys and I yeah. you know, I talked to them and all that stuff. But then uh, when my uh, when I started going to games with my friends, and my friends just they they wanted to go out in the right field where the bus was at Dodger Stadium and get visiting player autographs. And I said, well, come on, I can I can help with that. And we went out there and the bus would be there and I'd see guys like um, like Alvin Dark would be the, he was the manager of the Giants. I remember this vividly and he. And, um, I hate, I hate admitting this, but I, but I played the family card. You know, I went up and I, and I said to the bus driver, can I speak with Mr. Dark, please? And, and he heard, you know, Alvin heard this kid asking for him. He peeked his, uh, head out of the bus. He said, what do you want? And I said, oh, Mr. Dark, I just want to say hello. You know, my, I'm Gene Mock's nephew and my, you know, Royce my dad. And he goes, oh, hey, come on in the bus here. And, and the next thing I know, he was, he was pointing out guys that, hey, Willie, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, I both McCovey and uh, Mays, you know, would you sign this for these guys? You know, that kind of stuff. And I was a hero, you know, to my kids. And I, I don't still have the autographs. I mean, I I'd met those guys, you know, before. And so, I mean, I I, I guess I tell the story to point out two things. I was incredibly lucky as a kid. And I was kind of a little brat for, uh, for <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to be a hero to my friends there.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: that's awesome. That's awesome. Roy, great stuff, man. We'll talk next right. week. See you, Roy. All right. All right, Roy Smalley. I do the same thing. Actually, hold on. That's Mar- a smart move. Mark's on hold here with a Roy Smalley autograph story. 651-646-8255. What's up, Mark?
1: Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, yeah, I, Roy Smalley, obviously, is a great guy. Uh, when I was, like, seven, eight years old, back at the old Mets stadium, they had an autograph session, and... My mom took me there, and she told me to go stand in the tunnel as the guys were coming out to this autograph session and try to get autographs before they actually got out. Mm-hmm. So I'm standing in the tunnel, and all these giant players are walking by me, and I'm, I'm seeing like uh, Tony Oliva, and I go, Mr. Oliva, can I get your autograph? And Mr. Ford, can I get your autograph? And all these guys just keep walking by, and finally I see uh, Roy coming up, and instead of saying, hey, Mr. Smiley, I go, hey, Roy! Really? And sure enough, he comes over and signs my autograph for this little 8-year-old boy that's being towered over by these guys. It was one of the best moments of my life.
0: Yeah. He's people, a really good guy. Yeah, Mark, thanks for the, for the I story. I told you that, too, he right? was
2: that, that he would sit there on camera day. He would stand there. And keep in mind, too, in 79, I think he was the team's lone all-star. So we're talking about a really good player. Yeah, And Roy would sit there
0: forever and take pictures with people and sign autographs. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I think in our minds you know if you ever get to that point where you're a famous professional athlete when you're like 12 years old man i would love to sign autographs and then there's just a lot of guys who get jaded by the process sure. and it just becomes a pain in the ass and they don't want to do it so when you do find players who genuinely enjoy going down the you know the foul line before games or the one problem now
2: and the one thing
0: i i get
2: it but it would an- annoy me the amount of uh, of adults who want you to sign for them cuz yeah. you know they're going to turn around and try and sell it like, yeah. kids sign all day long, but I don't blame any player who's like, I'm not going to sign for a 48-year-old guy like Zolgad. Yeah,
0: for sure. Uh, 651-646-8255. We're reminiscing today. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. You know, it's, it's just like his own reality show. Mackie and Judd. I love it. On 1500 ESPN.
3: Join past and present NHL players for a day of golf at the 2018 Minnesota NHL Alumni Classic This year's event is taking place Monday, July 16th at White Eagle Golf Club in Hudson. In addition to a round of golf, each registration includes on-course food and beverages, dinner, player gifts, and more. For more details and to register, head to 1500 com keyword
0: events.
1: Uh, Executives, coaches, players,
0: people are stunned. Uh, We're stunned at the story, and... (laughs) And I think the potential consequences if this does indeed um, bear out to be Brian Colangelo behind these other accounts, uh, I think the consensus is he could probably have survived comments about other executives with other teams, um, maybe even his own coach. But to put his fra- but but if he said those things about his franchise star Joel Embiid. Is one executive said to me, "I know I wouldn't survive that in my job." Uh, that, that's whoa, Dave. Did you? I'm, I'm on this big lead story right now. Am I on the right one? You saw a story with some updates on this, right? Yes. About there was. I need to know more about this story. The, I just like this story. I can't get enough of this story. This is cocaine for me right now.
3: The five Twitter accounts that we all
0: have heard about,
3: but there was a Philadelphia blog. I'm trying to remember the name of it right now, and it's uh, escaping me. But I'll, I'll pull it up. They found a couple of users on message boards or you know comment sections of newspaper stories or blog stories about about the philadelphia 76ers and they found two specific names that seem to maybe know a little bit more than they should or care
0: just a (laughs) little bit more than they should. So it's not just on Twitter. It's also in the newspaper, the Inquirer comment section. Yes, exactly.
3: Yes, I'm trying to remember the name. One was like Al Vick was the name of one user, and the other was something Ruben, like Jake Rubin or something, like a a Ruben sandwich.
2: This this sounds very much like a husband and wife duo doing this. It really does. And and here's my thing with Woj, though. This is an amusing story. It's a a take a step back and wow story. I don't think it's completely stunning. I don't think it's completely stunning. I don't think it's normal. But you know what? If You You don't think it's stunning that a professional
0: general manager has five burner Twitter accounts? It's the first time that this has ever been exposed.
2: Having covered sports. Now, five is excessive. I'll give you that for sure. Five is (laughs) excessive. But I think finding out that a sports executive, a guy who owns a team or a GM or a, a... president of basketball ops or hockey ops or something like that is doing this is not stunning. It's, it's really not. And I guarantee you there are at least a handful of people in the business yesterday attempting to shut down or clear themselves of their own burner Twitter accounts. I'm really not shocked. The, did, the did, insecurity. Actually, I, I feel
0: Phil, like there were some stories about about P, like writers who knew that certain executives had yes. burner accounts that they actually were deleted yesterday. And and the insecurity that permeates professional and
2: college sports is so high that if you don't think that there are at least a handful or a few more people doing this, I think you're crazy. Of course, no, like no one's no one's arguing that. Right. Of course. No, no. Yeah. But but Woj said I'm stunned. His quote is I'm stunned. I'm not stunned. Okay. I'm not stunned. You saw this coming, huh? I am slight I am yeah. slightly I, I'm <laughs> I will give I just said this. I will give you that five burner accounts is a hell of a lot of burner
0: accounts. But two, three, no. He's mm-hmm. Judd Zolgen, Burner account whisperer. Burner account whisperer. He knew Brian Calangelo was creeping around on five accounts. One, two, three,
3: four, five. Nothing stuns the whisperer. <laughs> I'm just telling you guys, I'm not shocked by this. Having covered coming sports, up and like, no shocked. I knew
0: this was going. I'm
3: this not was shi- happening. It doesn't shock me. <laughs> Maybe you should put it in and write that down, Judge. I huh? should have. You know what? Boo. I should have.
0: Nailed it. I love that. That's your stance. Like the most shocking sports story. The I mean, in, it's, it's 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 the insecurity
2: in professional and college sports is so high that that it doesn't it does not shock me. What about the hilarious great story? Well, yeah, th- but that's what I'm saying. Would you be surprised if you found out today that that all sports stations around the country, there were at least 10 guys with burner accounts basically defending the, oh. themselves and trashing their own station and competing stations?
0: I can tell you, I know for a fact, there's no. a there's a this is like really inside, but there is a media message board that's existed for like 10 years that covers there's like a Minnesota section and and uh, I know for a fact that there are influential radio and media executives. And I know the one you're talking about. And they post anonymously yes. inside information throughout the years. Like this has been, I've, I've known about this for eight years or so. Mm-hmm. And I don't know specifically, I've never been able to figure out exactly who's posting as who or connect those dots. But right. I know that this happens. For, it's the same sort of thing. For sure. Yeah. Man. It's just
2: who's going to get caught. And that's the question now. Yeah, we need a
0: 30 Because the hunt on is on stat. now.
2: It will be on now. You will have newspaper guys trying to find this in there. And, and that does not mean... The, the one thing to make very clear is having an account that, that is dormant and monitors things is actually smart. It's the guy who decides to get on and be like, have you checked out so-and-so's medical records? You might want to ask. A, that's where you're crossing a, a big, big line. Yeah. It's a great... I loved the story, I absolutely love it. But the fact that there was a guy, and you know what, it would make sense that if you had five burner accounts and were and were that nuts about it, that you that you might recruit the wife and be like, yeah, let's do this together. You're going to help yeah, out just on just this like
0: one. Like to know, yeah, I hope that my general manager is taking advantage of this opportunity to spend sixty to eighty hours a week working on the team and not spending ten hours a week on Twitter. But he was tweeting
2: you know. about the D League uniforms, hoping they get changed on the True. night that he was at a or, D-League game. Or
0: was it his wife? We don't know. Uh, Collar is going to come in here next. <laughs> it's Matthew Collar on Twitter, unless he has four burner accounts that we don't know about. Uh, we'll talk some Vikings, and um, if you if you guys have If you guys have more uh, nostalgic phone calls, we can keep phone lines open for the next 30 minutes or so. 651-646-8255, 877-615-1500. Hang on. Mackie and John will return shortly. Well, you don't really have a choice. On 1500 ESPN.